And as we've been going through the book of Philippians, of course, we have been looking at the theme. And, and like I said, we're going to finish this up. So I thought we'd really refresh ourselves as we have been pretty much every Sunday reminding ourselves of this uh, outline that we've been working through. As we've been looking at the theme of joy, we've also been discussing some of those things that might rob you of that joy being in the Lord. So in chapter one, Paul really laid out how the secret of joy in spite of circumstances is having that single mind. The secret of joy in spite of uh, people in chapter two is having that submissive mind. The secret of joy in spite of things, chapter three, uh, the secret of joy in spite of things is the spiritual mind. Chapter four, the secret of joy in spite of worry is the secure mind. That's what we've been focusing on and looking at here. And now today we're going to look at some wonderful things uh, that Paul is, again, just reminding ourselves of in this closing time. We're going to look at today the contented life. We're going to look at the giving life and the rejoicing life here as we break down this remainder of chapter 4. Right there in verse 10, we read this. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that you now at last, uh, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So remember, Paul has been sitting in a prison cell in Rome. Things have not been looking up and up. Things have not been really, you know, bringing occasion for Paul to really be joying in Jesus or to be talking about joy. Things have not been in your typical place for Paul where you would naturally think about joy. And so he's been writing in prison and it's not been pleasant. You know, Paul there in Rome may not have been getting regular meals. It's not like our prison system today where you get fed regularly, you can get outside, have some exercise. You might even leave prison with a better education than you had when you went in. Some people here now um, in our day can look at prison very differently than what Paul was having to face and deal with there in Rome. So Paul needs that outside support uh, of other people to come and encourage him and supply the needs that he might have is that system there in Rome is not going to be taking care of him. So the church in Philippi has been a very concerned church, a very caring church. They've been, you know, worried about Paul and they've been focused on supplying the needs for Paul. But there's been something that has kind of prevented them from doing so right now. Perhaps it could be persecution that they've been facing. Perhaps it's the travel to get that gift or care, support financially to Paul over in Rome. Because to do so, that, that is quite an endeavor now to travel to Rome from Philippi. It's not just an easy, you know, let's hit PayPal, let's give an e-transfer. This is not that way, right? And so they got to have somebody that goes to Paul with this gift, but they've been prevented in doing so. I mean, you know what that's like, right? When you've been waiting for something, you, just, you, you can just send a text or an email to somebody and you're like, 10 minutes goes by, you're like, how come they haven't replied already? What's the matter with these people? Where are they? And you get start getting a little anxious, start getting a little bothered, maybe frustrated. And yet Paul's been having to wait like a, a period of time, perhaps months, where he's been sitting there going, man, where's that church been? Where, you know, when are they eventually going to get here? He's been waiting and waiting, but he's been waiting patiently. He's not been desperate. He's been trusting the Lord, as we'll see as we go through this chapter. So eventually, Epaphroditus 
arrives. And Epaphroditus is from Philippi. He's sent by the church to come with this gift for Paul now to again be able to provide and meet the needs for Paul while he sits there in prison. It's like a care package suddenly arrives. You know what that's like when you get a care package from someone, when you're just in need. You're just like, oh man, you just are so excited over the top here. I remember getting a, when we had moved uh, out here from, we were youth pastor in Kamloops and we moved and we came out here and we uh, began to help with a, a new church plant in Linden that we didn't have any, uh, any support. And uh, I was sitting there one morning, I woke up, I'm like, man, I'm out of socks. Like I need, I need to get some socks. And then uh, that day we got a message that a care package arrived from the group in Kamloops. And uh, we went and got, picked up that package, opened up, and guess what? There were packages of socks in there. I didn't say anything. I just thought, damn, God, I need socks. And a care package arrives with socks. I'm just like, man, you don't know how much that can just encourage a person. You might be thinking, what little good is this gift going to do? But never underestimate when you just begin to show care for somebody, how much that can just bless the socks off of them, literally, and just overwhelm them with goodness and, and just... Uh, care and encouragement. And so Paul now, he receives the care package and he's just like, notice what he says, I rejoiced in the, in the Lord greatly. I think Paul was just over the top, so excited and thankful for receiving the support that he knows is just an extension of the Lord through this church in Philippi. So never underestimate just taking that time to show care for somebody. Maybe it's even just in a in a written note that you just want to reach out and say, you know, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you. Never underestimate what value that can have and the impact that can make in somebody that it just suddenly stirs their heart with that understanding of the compassion and care that is out there that's an extension of the Lord. So Paul now, he wants to clarify, you know, that he's not been anxious or or waiting for this care pack as though this was his only lifeline, right? He wants to be sure that he's not putting pressure on that church at Philippi or making them feel guilty for delaying now in that. He's later gonna say that he was more interested in the blessing that was being given to them for their care and for their gift rather than just what was coming his way. But notice what he says in verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So Paul now, he begins to share how he's learned to live this life of contentment. He's not sitting here saying, listen, I've been very anxious because I've been having to kind of live below my comfort level. He's not saying you guys really need, should have hurried more because things were not, he's not putting pressure on me. He's saying, listen, I've learned. It's okay. I've learned how to be content. I've learned how to be in need. I've learned how to have it all and have nothing. And I've learned to be content in those things. So he's acknowledging that though there are needs, he's learned to be content and to trust the Lord in whatever state he is in. And listen, those are valuable lessons to learn, and they are indeed lessons that we need to learn, wouldn't you say? Because this is not a state that comes upon us very naturally. We're not born with this contentment level. We're not born with this idea like, you know what, whatever happens, it's all okay. 
No, we're like, I want things to be comfortable. I want things to be happening my way. I want, I want to have the things that I want because it's those things that are gonna make me happy. We have to learn to kind of buck against those things and to say, that's not what I'm living for ultimately. Paul says, I've learned. He's had to learn these things. And how we need to learn these things because it's not something that is, again, natural for us. In fact, we get bombarded all the time, don't we, with ads that are telling you, here's what you need to be happy. And we have to guard our, our mind and protect ourselves because we begin to buy in and think, oh, that looks really good, actually. In fact, I would really like that. In fact, that's going to make me really happy and at peace and at joy. It's that that I'm missing and I didn't realize I was missing it until that ad popped up. And you can be talking about, you know, something with somebody that day. You're gonna have a conversation with somebody and you're mentioning this product that you're going, man, that's really cool. And all of a sudden, the next time you're on a webpage or you're opening up an app, guess what? There's that product in that ad for you. And you're sitting there probably thinking, oh, it's a sign. I'm meant to have this. I was just talking about it there, it popped up. It's not a sign, it's Siri eavesdropping on your conversation. You know, Siri's the feminine form of Satan. I, I just made that up, actually. I don't know, really. I think it fits, actually. But there's Siri saying, oh, man, here, I'll put that up on your, or there's Google. You know, I'll put that up on your ad there because, yeah, I, I heard you talking about it. You really need this now. And we need to guard ourselves from going, I don't want to buy into that system that makes me think I'm not going to be happy unless I have that. We have to learn to be content. See, adding the things you think you need or taking away the things that you think you don't need don't always result in your happiness. Take it from John Mikofsky. He thought dumping his wife would solve all of his problems. He was thrilled when the divorce was final. January 20th, 1993 was the day it was all official, but John's excitement was short-lived because on January 21st, the day after his ex-wife Marianne claimed the 10.2 million jackpot in the New Jersey pick six lottery. When asked how John was feeling, his lawyer said, well, very upset. I think that's the word that I would use. It's true, guys. You can't engineer contentment and fulfillment by changing the who, the what, or the where of your life. Contentment is not about getting what you want. It's about appreciating what you have. It's learning to enjoy and rejoice in whatever state you find yourself in. Things are gonna change. And you see, it's being able to roll with those changes without feeling like you gotta make the changes to make you happy. Somebody said, a truly happy person is the person who can enjoy the scenery on a detour. You know, Paul's had to have a lot of detours in his life. Paul thought, well, this is what I'm going to do. This is how, I'm sure he thought, this is how it's all going to play out. And yet, as Paul began his missionary journeys, he quickly realized things are not always going to go as planned. There are going to be detours along the way. And Paul lays that out for us very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 29, saying, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. You got to realize I do not want to be on the same boat that Paul is on. I'm going to take a different ship. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles. 
in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings often in cold and nakedness, besides the other things. I'm like, is there possibility of other things? You just pretty much covered the whole gamut of stuff here. How is there more? He says, listen, I can't even keep going on about the other thing. I'm like, I, oh my goodness, I'm freaking out just the things that you shared, let alone the other things you haven't shared. But he says, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and am I not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? You know, Paul will later say in the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, when I'm weak, then I am strong. See, Paul began to realize that it's in all these detours, it's all these things, I didn't plan out that the Lord is actually at work and he's the one that's at work in me to accomplish through me what he is going to purpose to do. So Paul realized it's not by me trying to make things happen the way I want them to or having the things that I feel I need or want. It's in trusting the Lord and it's in being content with whatever comes my way, you see. Paul, as he lays out here, this contentment was not just something he learned, it was something he learned by experience. Paul lived this out. And so this is something that when we hear from Paul, we go, man, this is a guy that knows it. He's not just speaking it theologically or, or intellectually saying, you know what, guys, this probably sounds like a good way to live. You should try it out. He says, this is the way to live because I've lived it. And, and Paul has lived both sides. And he knows what it's like, but he's learned through experience to be content. That's why when he says what he says, we should perk up and take note. He's experienced it. And, and, and Paul's found Jesus to be sufficient for him in all things. That Jesus was able to provide and take care of him and be sufficient for him. That's why he writes what he does next. It's one of the most well-known verses of the Bible, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now this verse, like I said, is one of the most well-known, quoted, tattooed on people, but this is not saying what most people hope it's saying. You see, this verse is not about chasing your dreams. It's not about achieving what you desire. All those thoughts become about you. You know, a lot of athletes, entrepreneurs, and people with great aspirations love to quote this verse. They love to emphasize the I that it starts off with. This verse is gonna help me accomplish all I want. With God on my side, there's nothing I can't do, they say. And though there's truth to that, God is not partnering with you just to fulfill what you desire and what you wish as though he's some genie that we just call upon when we need a wish granted or a favor or we want something done for ourselves. And a lot of people treat God that way. Hey God, I'm in need again. I need you to help me out here. Remember, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God is not there just to grant what you need or want. See, what Paul is saying about this verse, I think you could more rightly translate this or paraphrase this this way. I believe he's saying, I can bear all things through Christ who strengthens me and enables me to endure whatever comes my way. 
I can bear all things through Christ who will strengthen me and enable me to endure whatever comes my way. See, this is instead the testimony of those who have Christ and have found him supremely valuable, joyous, and satisfying in a life constantly marked by these extreme highs and lows that Paul went through, he's found great, constant security in and through Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus that he's become this centering hope for Paul. Paul understood what it means to live for Christ and to be content with whatever comes because his contentment was not based in his circumstances, but in Jesus Christ. Now, listen, it's true You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, but the all things are the things that God is gonna bring your way. It's the things that we might not otherwise want for ourselves or ask for ourselves. It's the things that we're saying, God, keep from me. (laughs) Don't let those into my life. And yet God is saying, you know what? You're gonna be able to do all things through me. Even the trials, the hardships, the difficulties, the detours are gonna come your way. You're gonna be able to handle those things in and through me, because I'm gonna strengthen you to handle it. That's the all things. It's not saying, man, I'm gonna rise this corporate ladder, and I know there's people ahead of me, but I'm gonna take them out, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes we use this for our own selfishness or personal gain, rather than simply saying, it's about what you wanna do, Jesus, and what you're gonna allow in my life. Paul learned this, and he didn't get rattled when difficult circumstances hit him, when people hated him, when when hurt and hunger plagued him. He learned that Jesus was sufficient. He knew Christ's strength would be more than enough to enable him to keep moving on in joy and peace. Wuist said this, Kenneth Wuist said, the word content is the translation of a Greek word used by the Stoic school of philosophy, which taught that man should be sufficient to himself for all things. It means to be independent of external circumstances. It speaks of self-sufficiency and competency, but Paul's self-sufficiency was not the Stoic kind. It was Christ's sufficiency. Paul's independence was not Stoic independence, but dependence upon Christ. He found his sufficiency in Christ. He was independent of circumstances because he was dependent upon Christ. Listen, that's the contented life right there. That's the life that knows Jesus is better and that we are complete in him. The Bible speaks about this attitude of contentment. Hebrews 13, verse five to six says, let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? When we recognize that the Lord is with us, what do we have to fear? What do we have to worry about? That I don't have to let my circumstances dictate how I'm gonna feel or handle this, whether I'm gonna be content or discontented because the Lord is with me wherever I am, wherever I go, and whatever comes into my life, the Lord is at work. And so what do I have to fear? Be content with such things as you have. First Timothy 6, 6, now godliness with contentment is great gain. And there's a blessing that comes when we learn to live in contentment. You will gain much. So we see this contented life. Moving into verse 14, we look at this giving life now. Look at it, it says, Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared 
in my distress. Now, Paul didn't want them to think he didn't need or appreciate this gift. He's kind of been saying, oh man, your gift has finally arrived, it's great. But not that I was needing it. Listen, guys, I've learned to be content. He's not trying to downplay or, or you know, kind of make them feel bad that they were maybe slow in coming. And, and uh, he's saying, listen, I, I appreciate this gift. This is wonderful. He commends them now for the blessing that they were. But now, how did the, the Philippians share in his distress because I mean they weren't in prison with him they're not experiencing the same things that Paul is but they reached out to send aid and they you know came alongside Paul in a very tangible way to supply the things that Paul was lacking it's kind of like what Galatians 6 2 says to to bear with one another's burdens to share with one another in these things in the highs and the lows we come alongside and say listen I'm here, and in whatever way that we're able to show care and support, it's as though we're sharing with them in that very, you know, state that they are in. And so this church was there supporting and being faithful to minister to Paul, and he's so thankful for that. He says, you've done well in what you've done. He goes on to say in verse 15, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. See, these Philippians were a very giving bunch. They were very faithful in coming alongside, in giving support to Paul. They've been faithful on more than one occasion to give and help send aid for Paul as he was going about his mission's work. Even when he's in Thessalonica, they're there going, hey, Paul, what do you need? We want to supply and send aid for you here. And I love what Paul says. Listen, guys, I'm not looking for a free handout here. This is not about bolstering my bank account. This is about the fruit that inevitably now goes into your account. Paul's excited, not just because he's going, all right, guys, man, I'm going to be able to get an upgrade on my chariot now. This is going to be great. He's not celebrating what he's going to get. He's going, I'm excited for the fruit that's coming to you for your faithfulness in giving. Here's the wonderful thing about giving. When we do it from a right heart and our motive is to serve and worship God, you're going to be blessed. And I'm sure many of you have experienced that yourselves. God is not in need of your money, but he's interested in your heart. And giving is a great indicator of where your heart is. Are you trusting the Lord? Are you depending on him or not? So God loves the one that gives, and he loves to bless the giver. Paul says that elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 8, when he says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. That you may have an abundance for every good work. How? By giving. Well, if I give, isn't that subtraction? Oh, but you see, with our subtraction, God loves to multiply, and God loves to provide and take care of you in that. There's a wonderful reciprocal blessing that happens as we give. We get to bless others and bless the Lord, and we too find that we are greatly blessed in the process. Now, 
we don't talk a lot about giving and tithing here. Um, and as you know, being a part of Riverside here, we don't, we don't take up a, a collection and receive tithes and offerings as part of our worship service, though we definitely know and believe that our giving is an act of worship. But it's something that we said we don't want to put any kind of pressure on people. We want people to give, not grudgingly or of necessity, but to do so out of a cheerful, glad heart because they feel like they are doing this in obedience to Christ and they want to worship the Lord through that. So of course, we don't receive an offering, but we have boxes here on the a foyer in here in sanctuary in the other building there with tithe envelopes to say, listen, we want you to be faithful in giving and we want you to do so as you're led of the Lord and as an act of worship to God, which it is. See, we recognize that God's blessed us with all that he's given us, with all that we have, and we wanna honor him and say, Lord, we wanna return this blessing that you've given to us, return that to you. And so we don't talk a lot about it, but worship uh, through giving is a big part of our church here and i want to say thank you to those that give faithfully to riverside and to the lord here and and we have been so blessed and we're so thankful you know um it, thankfully it's not been something that we've really had to kind of talk a lot about we haven't done a lot of you know sermon series on giving which oftentimes happen because you know we're needing money uh that's never been the case god's been faithful to always just give what you know we're in need of and he's always been faithful to to meet our needs and this past year when it's been probably one of the more challenging times for churches can i just say how good god has been and how faithful his people have been and and we've seen just um you know our our giving just go beyond anything that we've ever seen in our 19 years as a church here. Um, God's been so good this past year in a time where it's not always been that way for uh, people or churches, and God's been faithful and good. I just want to celebrate him, and I want to thank you for your faithful giving um, over this time, and I want you to be encouraged. Continue to be a cheerful giver and do so unto the Lord, you know. Give back what the Lord has given to you already. And also Paul says here in verse 18, indeed, I have all and abound, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. See, Paul was full. He's not trying to oversell his need to make some kind of profit for himself. Remember, Paul has learned to be content. But he's grateful for the gift that Epaphroditus was able to bring from the Philippian believers. It was like that sacrifice of the Old Testament that people would bring as an act of worship to God when they'd bring their first fruits to the Lord to say, God, thank you for what you've given me. I wanna bring the sacrifice now to say, God, I'm trusting you for more. I wanna honor you. And what does Paul say there? He says that this was a sacrifice that was a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God. You know that your giving to God becomes that sweet-smelling sacrifice. It's well-pleasing to God. And sometimes it might feel like a sacrifice. You know what that's like? When you're like, you know, uh, I haven't tied this month, but, you know, I was really hoping to upgrade my, you know, 55-inch TV at home to one of those 80-inch TVs. Um, you know, all, all for the Lord, of course, is for 
you know, having people over to, you know, watch Christian movies, and we need to, you know, upgrade, of course, but I don't quite have enough to get that, and it's still ties, so maybe the Lord will know, you know, it'll be okay if we just upgrade, and sometimes, you know, giving can be a sacrifice when you feel like, I don't know if I'm able to do this, but how we need to go, Lord, I, I don't, I, I need to more so ask, how can I not do this? How can I not give first to the Lord, because he's the one that's going to meet my needs. Sometimes it can be a sacrifice, but understand what the Word of God says. Notice what, well, let's read it, verse 19. Notice what Paul says in light of this idea, sometimes it's feeling like a sacrifice. He says, but my God, verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Keep in mind, it doesn't say that my God shall supply all your greed, Sometimes we, again, like verse 13, we like to take this verse out of context and go, oh, I like this. My God will supply it. And so we just go out and frivolously buy things and just think, oh, no, it's okay. My God will supply all my need. That's not what it's saying. It's saying God will take care of you. When you faithfully give to the Lord, he's gonna take care of you. He's gonna, he's gonna supply what you need, just like we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Some of these Philippians may have been giving to the point where it hurt. And then I wondered, who's going to help us out now? Paul says, God's got you. He's going to meet your need. He's going to supply your need. And notice this, I love it. It's not out of his riches. It says, he'll supply your need according to his riches. It's like if Elon Musk was to go in a restaurant and he's to leave a tip for the server. If he leaves a $100 tip, that server would be pretty thankful, but that would be a tip out of his riches. If Elon Musk were to tip that server according to his riches, that server would be retiring the next day, I think. In fact, he probably wouldn't even finish his shift. He'd be like, boss, I'm out of here, man. I'm moving to Hawaii. I'm able to retire now. Thank you, Elon Musk. According to his riches. God is supplying for you According to his riches. In other words, there is an endless supply with the Lord to meet your needs. He's never going to be, you know what? I'm a little bit short this month. If you can just wait until next month, I think things will pick up again. God's never saying that. An endless supply with the Lord. But he'll supply your needs, not your wants, not your greed. He'll supply your needs according to his riches and grace as we are faithful to worship him and live for him and honor him through our giving. See, when we recognize the provision and blessing from God, we never have to fear or worry about what we give toward him. When we give to him by tithing to the church or supporting a missionary or contributing to a ministry so that God's work can abound, that fruit will abound into your account. You'll find the great blessing that comes as you give. Giving to God pays great dividends. So we've seen a contented life. We've seen a giving life. Lastly, let's look at a rejoicing life. Verse 20. Paul, in his conclusion now of this letter, says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. As Paul and we come to the close of his letter, now Paul reminds us that in everything we do, what do we do? We do it to the glory of God. Now, to our God and Father be glory 
forever and ever. Paul says, everything that I do, the, the very existence that I have is living for the glory of God. How we need to keep that before us. Because if not, then we question when trials come, when difficulties come. Paul could easily be questioning, Lord, why would I be in prison right now? I thought I was being faithful to you. Why would you let this happen? Because God's saying, I'm going to get greater glory out of this. See, you've often heard me say, our lives don't exist for ourselves. Our lives exist for God and for the glory of God so that we can understand that whatever might come our way, those are opportunities for God to be glorified to where I don't have to fret and fear and wonder, how could you be allowing this, God? Where are you? God is saying, I'm right here and you just watch what I'm gonna do because I'm gonna do something that goes beyond what you could ever have imagined or thought or drawn up for yourself. I'm gonna do something that's gonna reveal my power and my glory in and through this situation. He just calls us to be faithful, to follow him and to trust him. And he's gonna see us through. He's gonna do so to his glory. Our lives exist for his glory. So Paul says, oh, it's to God. May he be glorified forever and ever. And he gives his regular greetings now at the close of his letter, sending greeting to those in Philippi from those that were around Paul. But notice something here. He says, especially those who are of, Christ, uh, of Caesar's household. Now, who are those of Caesar's household? That's very interesting. We can't be certain who these people are, but it's thought that these were some of the Roman soldiers that had been chained to Paul during this imprisonment who have gotten saved because they're chained to Paul and guess what? They can't go anywhere. Paul's like just got an open subject now in front of him, says, man, let me tell you about the gospel. Can I share with you about Jesus? And these Roman soldiers are like, well, all right. I mean, I, I can't do anything about that right now. I can't leave. So Paul's got a captive audience and he's sharing the gospel. And I believe many of these Roman soldiers are getting saved and they're going back and reporting that to people in Caesar's household and to various relatives there so that people are getting saved. See, again, Paul is rejoicing in the fact that even in the midst of this situation, circumstance, that others could look at and go, man, this is awful. Paul's going, remember what he said actually in, in Philippians chapter one, verse 12, where he said, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul's going, hey, listen, don't, don't sway. Writing to the people of Philippi, don't you know, freak out that I'm in prison because these things have actually happened for the furtherance of the gospel. People are getting saved while I'm in chains. I don't have to go out, try to find those people. God says, bringing them to me, and he's attaching them to me. They can't go anywhere. This is wonderful. This is the way ministry should be. And he's rejoicing. People are getting saved, and now they're sending greetings to the church in Philippi. I'm sure they're going, hey, thank you for giving us Paul. Thank you for sending Paul our way. I know he's in jail. He can't do anything about it, but we're grateful that he's been here because now we've gotten saved, and we can't wait to meet you one day. Thank you for the support you're giving him, man. He needs it. That's awesome. And they're just rejoicing together. And he ends with a common phrase, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. See, when you fully comprehend the grace of God, that's at work in your life. There's no room to be down, discouraged, discontented, or dismayed because grace changes everything. The grace that's been bestowed upon you and me, the abundant life that we've received that's been supplied to us freely should keep us joying in Jesus 
all of our days, no matter what comes our way, because we've been saved by grace. We are in fellowship with our heavenly Father. We didn't deserve it. We don't earn it. It's given to us by the grace of God. And it's that and that alone that should cause us to go, every day that I live, I'm going to joy in Jesus. Because no matter what my circumstances might be, God has already done all that he needs to for me in saving me and giving me eternal life. I know where I'm going. We're citizens of heaven, my friends, and we know exactly what's coming our way. So let us rejoice always. Again, I will say rejoice. Amen. Let's pray. Worship team, would you come up? We'll close with a song. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can go through a book like Philippians and it can speak so practically to the things that we're dealing with today. These are issues that we all face. Lord, we can all be anxious and stressed, discouraged. We can all be discontented with where things are at, but like we've seen in the example of Paul, Lord, there's reason to rejoice in you. There's reason to be joyful in you despite all of those things. Because of your grace, because you've saved us, because we're citizens of heaven, because we have you, Jesus, at work in our life right now, right today. So Lord, may we keep living in you and for you, trusting you for all things, rejoicing in all that you've done for us and all that you continue to do because Lord, as Philippians 1, 6 says, Lord, you're not done with us. You're continuing on that work until we see you face to face and we look forward to that day. And I wanna ask if anybody's listening online or if anybody's here with us today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't know where you're going when you die. You haven't understood this grace of God by which he's forgiven you of your sin despite what you've done. And you don't know that for yourself. That's not something you've received personally today. There's questions that you have of your eternal state, of your standing with God today. I want you to know, as we've just been speaking here today, that God's provided for you and for your salvation. He's provided for you by sending His Son, Jesus, to come to this world as one of us, to die on a cross, to take our place. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin and my sin by dying, but he rose again saying and securing life for us. But here's what you need to do. You need to acknowledge your sin and your need for Jesus as your savior. You can't save yourself. You can't be a good enough person to earn favor with God. It's only in and through Jesus that you can be right with him. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. If you have not, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Him today. If you're here and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you just hold up your hand? I want to pray for you. Nobody's looking. Everybody's got their eyes closed. But if you're here today and you don't know you're standing before God, you don't know where you're going when you die, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and have that assurance of salvation and eternal life, would you just raise your hand? And if you're online and watching this right now, I want you to do something. Just simply say a little prayer. Say, Jesus, I confess my sin before you. I'm in need of saving. I want the life that you have for me. I want to be made new. I want to be forgiven. Thank you for your grace that provides that for me, despite what I do. Jesus, come in and make me new. Be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. 
I want to live for you and in you now. And when if you pray that prayer, you become a new creation, a born again believer. Old things pass away, behold, all things have become new. And if you prayed that today, would you let me know? Would you email us at the church? We'd love to follow up with you and uh, get to know you more. Well, let's stand together here and let's uh, close with a song.